Hey, Jacob here. Just a warning, this episode includes descriptions of drug use and has some profanity. If you have small children, this may not be the episode for them. So recently I was asked to tell a story at a comedy club in Nashville called Zanies. Jacob Lewis, everybody! It was a weeknight show, not a great attendance, but still a lot of fun. I didn't know it, but that night I was going to meet someone whose story was like an onion. The more I learned about it, the more complex it became. And that person was actually the guy you just heard introducing me, a stand-up comedian named Steven Spinola. He was the host for the evening. I, uh, I'm glad you guys like that. I'm glad you guys are here. Really, I didn't expect anybody to be here. I expected the staff to be really upset tonight. Like, you guys really don't want He's short, got a tight beard, and his long curly hair is covered up with a trucker hat. Now, this wasn't a typical comedy show at Zany's, but rather a storytelling night with a theme of childhood. So in between other people's stories, Stephen would get up and tell tales of his own raising. Stephen's dad was a New York State Supreme Court justice. And one day, he told Stephen he had a special treat for him. He was going to meet one of his favorite celebrities. He said, I want to take you to meet my friend Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) They went over to a guy's house who did kind of look like the famous actor, but a little off, like he really let himself go. Turned out, it was just a friend of his dad's. But Stephen thought it was Sylvester Stallone. My whole family laughed at me. Everybody just, oh, you're an idiot. You thought you know Sylvester Stallone. And I realized that, you know, your parents are not telling you the truth all the time. I just want my parents to be proud, you know. My, my, my mom and my stepdad, they saw me do comedy live for the first time this summer. They saw it twice, actually. And they, they told me both times, they were like, I, I've never been prouder of you. You know, like, I'm, I'm really proud of what you do. And I was like, you know, that's, that means a lot to me. You know, just making my parents proud. My dad, my dad's still not proud about comedy, but at least my mom and my stepdad are. There's a few things that happened in Stephen's life that he cites as reasons why this might be the case. And backstage at Zany's, waiting to go on, I learned one of them. Another comedian on the bill that night named Ben Sawyer leaned over to me and said, do you know the story of how Stephen ended up in Nashville? I said no. He told me I definitely need to ask Stephen about it. So of course, I did. I got all the wrong attention this time. This time it went way too far. Stephen Spinola moved to Nashville because of a tweet. In an effort to grow his Twitter base, Stephen live tweeted Donald Trump's inauguration and he posted something that made a lot of people angry. The tweet that, I, that got this heat was, uh, Baron Trump looks like a very handsome date rapist to be. Baron was Trump's then 10-year-old son. This whole thing escalated, and Stephen started to get death threats. At Mr. McStevie, Ontario Improv, seriously, I have a gun ready for you. You liberals have pushed me to the edge, ready for your blood. Great, so I guess I'm never performing at the Ontario Improv. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, we enter the world of Steven Spinola and the events that led him to drastically change his life. Breakups, flirting with a small fortune, acid and mushrooms, getting into comedy, posting a tasteless tweet, and finally, uprooting his life from New York to live in Tennessee. Man, this is 
suburbs. He's got an Audi with a lift thing. I guess he drives for lift. When I visited Stephen's house, there were some strange juxtapositions. The first was this really high dollar Audi with a lift sign in it. And the second was the guy I met at the club in this big suburban house. Hey, come on in. How's it going, man? Good. Inside, there's a dining room with one of those fridges to keep wine shield. It was full. Then my attention was turned to something that Stephen was carrying. This is Piggy. This is my dog. Hey, Piggy. <laughs> like a little white, uh, what kind of dog is that? It's a multi-poo. A multi-poo? Half Maltese, half poodle. Piggy is tiny, and Stephen says that to get her to behave, he's going to have to put her in a pouch. <laughs> when I ask what that is, I realize he's wearing it. It's basically a... Baby Bjorn for dogs? So you're gonna wear this dog this whole thing? If that's okay. If, yeah. <laughs> she loves it. She's in here, she says, I'm happy now. I gotta say, I'm not sure what I expected, but none of this. It's a lot more uh, domestic than I expected. <laughs> I, ha I like having a nice life. That, that's one of the reasons that I live here and not in New York City anymore. One of the reasons. The other reason we'll talk about later. Please, upstairs. There were freshly baked cookies on the kitchen bar. Out back was a large cultivated garden where Stephen grows cucumbers that he pickles in large quantities and sells them at his comedy shows instead of merch. Upstairs, there's a bedroom that has a little staircase for Piggy to make it up on Stephen's bed. We have the same dresser, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Ikea? Yeah. Yeah, it's my fiance. Stephen lives here with his fiance, Tara. They're getting married next year. This is the guest bedroom. Okay. This is where my fiance likes to get ready in the morning. We walk past a picture of an older man in front of some trees. Oh, that's my grandfather. It's his Christmas tree farm. So that's where I, I sell glass ornaments there and stuff. That prompts Stephen to show me his garage. This is my glass blowing studio. Here he makes Christmas ornaments, yeah, as well as other things. This is my latest piece. This is called a steamroller. And it's basically like a pipe, and you use your hand over here, and you put your weed here, and then you suck it out there. And so this is my friend Joseph in New York, one of my best friends. And so he sent me a bunch of pictures, I cut them on the vinyl, and now I'm going to sandblast them onto this. So it's going to be like a frosted glass on there. Is that like a juggalo? What is yeah, that? He's a juggalo, yeah, you see? Well, I'm glad you were able to tell that just from the stencil. That means that I'm doing good work. After that, we head into the living room. What's that noise? This is, uh, I'm gonna turn that off. That's my mining system right now. Down, to, I have a bunch of mines for Bitcoin stuff. Oh my god! It's not for Bitcoin specifically, but for cryptocurrencies. Um, so I have like nine computers running throughout the house. So these are two of them. Steven says his electric bill is around $700 a month. Steven grew up in New York. He was a smart kid doing advanced mathematics in high school. His parents paid for his college. He studied physics at McGill University in Montreal. Problem was, he hated it. So I felt like seriously stuck in it. Like I couldn't tell them like, I'm not doing this. So I was doing a lot of drugs in college, a lot of acid and a lot of um, mushrooms and weed and stuff. And that's how Stephen got into stand-up. One night in college, he had a date with a girl to go out to a comedy club. But earlier in the day, she called and canceled. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's the end of that. She doesn't like me. Like, she canceled the date. Like, I'm never going to see her again. I ended up dating that girl for, like, six months after that. But 
that night I didn't go to the comedy club with her and I was trying to like get over the fact that I was rejected, I guess. So I took my friends to the comedy club and I was like, we're gonna have a good night. I'm taking this acid so I don't think about anything. I had the best time ever. It was just such a good time. Steven says that they invited everyone there to come back on Monday night to watch the open mic. But high as a kite, Stephen took that like... They're inviting me to come back and do the open mic. So I showed up at the open mic on Monday with a friend of mine, and I was like, I want to try this. And they were like, did you sign up? And I was like, no, but I'm from New York, and I want to do this. And they thought that I was from out of town, so they felt bad, and they put me on the list. You're supposed to call a week ahead to get on the list. But they felt bad for me because they thought I was out of town, so they let me on the list, and I, and I went up, and somebody who was a comedian told me I was funny. So I never stopped. And then I was like, okay, I'm a comedian now. It is like a very self-indulgent career, but at the same time, it's mostly about making other people happy. So I'm always worried that people don't like me or they're mad at me or like, they just don't want me around, you know? You guys know Weird Al? It's an applause break, Weird Al. Everyone loves him so much. In fairness to Stephen, he goes on to do about 20 more parodies, and what makes it funny, at least to me, is his dedication to the bit. But when he first started, his jokes were all over the place, mostly one-off little bits about weed, but a fair amount of shock comedy that is much harder to swallow. I thought just the, whatever the worst thing is, that's, what's, that's the funniest. You know, Anthony Jeselnik made a career out of doing that. So I was like, I want to be like him, and I want to just say the worst things possible, and people will like that. Turns out that that's not, that doesn't work for everybody. So after my first few months of doing comedy, I went on a road trip with a few friends because college was over. And on this road trip, one of the guys crashed my car at like 75 miles an hour. He flipped it over, and that's why I have a crooked hand. He holds up a hand, and all of the fingers on it curve like an S. Oh, you were in it. I was in the car. I was in the passenger seat of my own car. I was the only person who had anything damaged. Not, like, they didn't lose any personal items. I think I lost my passport. I lost my cell phone. I lost my skateboard. I lost just, like, so much shit I lost. And, and, and then the doctors were telling me I was losing my hand. They were like, you're never going to use your hand again. There's no way. His mom and stepdad blamed Stephen's drug use for the accident. His dad, Joe, advised him to sue the insurance company. He did. All the legal stuff took three years. Three years where Stephen made no money partially because he had a student visa in Canada and couldn't work, and partially because his hand was messed up. As he healed, he bounced around between college, his dad's couch, his grandma's house, and living with his uncle. He stopped talking to his mom and stepdad. It was a low period of heavy drug use that had some rather interesting ideological consequences. 
dude, I used to do acid and just watch videos all night long, right? He would put on YouTube and just turn on autoplay and let it go. So I'd be watching like a lot of visually stimulating stuff. There was this guy named David Hughes who had a show on Adult Swim called Off the Air. Steven loved his stuff. And, and it's like the most intense thing when you're on acid. It's all these colors and these animals, uh, zodiacs turning into each other and stuff and like morphing and everything. But as the night would go on, YouTube would stray from what it was originally showing and would suggest some very interesting stuff. Like a show hosted by former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura called Conspiracy Theory. So then I was like, oh man, this is crazy. I'm into conspiracy theories now. Moon landing, that was the big one. It was also 9-11. Illuminati stuff. This thing called HARP. A weather controlling system that the government owns. And that's when YouTube suggested another show. You know, everything feels so real to me. So I start getting really into Alex Jones, getting really into InfoWars. Alex Jones is a big proponent of an ongoing myriad of conspiracy theories. When that Sandy Hook thing happened, I was like, I don't believe it for a second. I was like, this is all about gun control. They're trying to control the guns. I didn't even like guns. You know what I mean? What did I care? I was on acid. Who gives a shit? I think that last sentence sums up that season for Stephen. Those years were the last three of his college career. It took him five years to complete a four-year program that he really didn't even want to be in. And although he did not attend his graduation, he did graduate. And then almost three weeks later, something happened that would redirect his drug-induced state. The lawsuit involving Stephen's car wreck was settled in a very favorable way. I made like half a million dollars. Yeah, so that was like a really good decision that my dad made, and I also made. It was actually closer to $600,000. So naturally, he bought an RV and took a trip across the country with friends. He did comedy gigs and had the time of his life. And it's safe to say that Stephen burned through a lot of money during the season. Anything he wanted to do, he would do it and pay for himself and a few friends. Fancy meals? Check. Riding dune buggies in the desert? Why not? Windboat rides in the Everglades? Absolutely. He bought a bunch of Brooks Brothers suits, fancy wines, VR equipment. He had a sweatshirt collection and said that he would literally go to a website called thisiswhyimbroke.com and buy whatever looked interesting on there. It's basically like an online version of Sky Mall on steroids. Now, buying stuff was one thing to do with money. But because of his math and physics background, he started to get into investing. I started learning how to make money in stocks, and I lost a lot of money at first. I lost probably $50,000 in my first few months of trading. And then I was like, okay, well, I still have a whole bunch of money. And I was like, I got to figure this out. I know there's a way to do it. He asked around, and a friend got him turned on to someone named Karen the super trader. And Karen, what she was doing is something called naked puts. And what naked puts are is when you believe a stock is going to go up, you sell a naked put to somebody, which means you don't own any of the stock, but you're selling someone the option to sell you the stock. Don't worry, I don't really understand it either. But what is important is the outcome. So I started making trades. I made about $200,000 in six months. And I bought the Audi. It's an A6, if you're curious. These were incredible boom times. Not only was he making money, his comedy career was actually taking off. He was booked at the Laughing Skull Festival in Atlanta, 
where bookers were scouting acts for the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal, one of the largest comedy festivals there is. Around this time, Stephen also started dating a girl, another comedian. She lived in Montreal, and Stephen was mainly in New York at the time, so he'd commute to see her about once a month. She had a kid. She was so much more mature than me. It all fell apart so fast. She wanted to dump Stephen, but he kept trying to make it work. So instead of breaking up, he convinced his girlfriend to let him pay for a trip to Nova Scotia. Even after he bought the flights, she asked him to cancel them. I had so much money. I should have taken the flight credit and dumped her ass and just been a secure person. But I'm not. I'm very insecure. I didn't want to be alone. As you can imagine, it was a miserable trip. And it wasn't just bad. It was like worst case scenario bad. Right before he left, Stephen said he got a horoscope that said this. Clear out the piles of work in your office. Otherwise, a big accident that'll take months to recover from is going to occur. I had all these trades open, you know, all these positions in my account. He thought about selling all of his current trades just so he wouldn't have to think about them on vacation. But he didn't. And instead, while on a trip with a girlfriend who didn't really even want to be with him, Lost all the money in three bad trades. Just, it just gone. Between that, the cars, the suits, the wine, and the trips, he had almost nothing left. Had I held the stocks for like six more hours, I would have made all the money back. I panicked and I just sold right in the morning. I was like, I got to get out now while it's still here. I thought the whole stock market was done. You know what I mean? I, I was so inexperienced in stocks that I was like, oh, this one day, this is it. Like, it's all going to be gone. The whole stock, stock market's like 10 times higher than it was back then now. A month later, he and his girlfriend officially went their separate ways. And then I spent years in distress. 2016 and 2017. The year before the tweet, where he was trying to wrap his head around losing all that money, and the year after the tweet, where he was scared for his life and trying to repair his career. One of the only positive things about that time was meeting Tara, his now fiancé. Other than that, he was spending all his time online trying to double down on Twitter, doing everything he could to grow his followers and make his comedy career work. Other comedians said he needed to get into some controversies, tweet nonstop, it's the only way. Which brings us to Inauguration Day. After the break, the tweet. So I remember sitting in my living room with the, the inauguration live streaming on Twitter, on one screen. And then I had Twitter open in another screen where I was tweeting about it. And I was live tweeting from my living room. And that day, nothing really happened, you know? Like, I got a few tweets. I got one that said, get cancer, faggot. And I got a couple others that were just not nice. And I remember my fiance got off work and I picked her up from the train station. And I said, you know, this one tweet made people pretty mad today. Like, a few people. Not that many, you know? It wasn't anything compared to stuff I'd had before. But, like, maybe, like, ten people were saying you shouldn't write that or whatever. And then came SNL writer Katie Rich. She tweeted out about Trump's son, Barron, saying that, quote, Barron will be this country's first homeschool shooter. She was subsequently suspended by SNL. That turned the spotlight to anyone else who was going after Trump's kids. 
And for Stephen, because of a few previous tweets that had gotten shown on a Comedy Central show, Stephen's bio said that he was a Comedy Central contributor. True, but a stretch. All he ever got for compensation is what they call a swag pack of things like sunglasses and a sweatshirt. So his tweet started a spiral up in the media. Now here I want to say one thing. There is no way to justify what he said. It was bad. But in his mind, in context, which was steeped in shock comedy, the depression of losing a lot of money, and the desperation of trying to make it, he sent this out into the world. Baron Trump looks like a very handsome date rapist to be. Which was really just a commentary on his outfit. He was wearing like the nicest suit I'd ever seen a 10-year-old wear. And I was jealous of his 10-year-old suit. That's, that's the reality of the situation, is that I wish I was a child millionaire. You know what I mean? So I was like, look at this little frat boy. And then I was like, he's going to grow up to be a frat boy. He's going to grow up with a sense of entitlement. And so I was like, he's going to end up date raping somebody. So I said, he's a very handsome date rapist to be, which is not nice. I don't agree with it necessarily. I do agree with it, you know, that it probably will happen. You know what I mean? I'm not going to deny that, you know, statistically, fraternities are full of date rapists. You know what I mean? And he will probably end up in a fraternity. I didn't know he was only 10. I mean, he looks, for a 10-year-old, he looked at least like in his teens, you know, wearing that suit. So I was like, <laughs> I was just being stupid, you know? And that's still not right. There's not a good excuse that he's in his teens. I still shouldn't be making fun of teenagers. But, you know, my fiance, she said she was such a huge Trump hater. So she said, leave the tweet. She was like, just leave it. And I have this thing that I do when I get insecure and don't know what to do where I let her make the decision. And I did. So I just let her make the decision. And then that was when my cousin called me or she texted me two of my cousins texted me and another one messaged me on facebook being like just saw your face on the front page of infowars.com um and i saw a lot of the comments people are writing about you are you okay you know what i mean and i was like what do you mean all of a sudden people were calling for steven's firing from comedy central a company he didn't even work for he was lumped in a Change.org petition to fire Katie Rich from SNL. That got over 125,000 signatures. He sent out a couple more pretty tasteless tweets trying to laugh it off. But up until that point, Stephen had been called a lot of things, but now he was getting death threats. The threats were starting to scare him. People who seemed to know where he lived, people calling him on his phone, mentioning his relatives by name. He says, date, ASAP, time, sooner the better, location, your choice, what, kill yourself, thick plastic bag and duct tape, gallons of gas and a flame, thinking of something slow and painful, go with it, physical comedy is always a hit, you pick on kids in hopes and getting noticed, yes I did, and troll for alt-left kudos. Stephen says he's never voted in his life and didn't understand what liberal or conservative meant until this whole debacle. He was smoking weed, living in a comedy cave in some ways. But he realized that these other people saying these things, they really hurt him, and they were scary. It was a sobering experience. Comedy clubs stopped booking him. He was scared to leave his apartment. And at the peak of his anxiety, his girlfriend had a simple suggestion. 
Let's just move. Thinking back to trips he had taken across the country, they decided on Tennessee. Well, I mean, one, one thing I can't figure out is, um, like, how, how does this story end? What's the ending? I don't know. I mean, the ending is just I've become a better person because of all of this. And, I, and I've opened my eyes to, like, what's real and what's not real. You know, the Internet is not real. We spend a lot of time on there, but it's not real. You know, like, I didn't focus on my real life until after that. I was so, I was living on the Internet, basically. I spent every waking moment on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media. And now I spend so much time just making a real life happen and making, like, you know, making my house nice and making my fiancé happy and just, you know, having a relationship with my parents. It all, it all, yeah, it all goes back to that whole thing in the beginning of me just wanting people to not be mad at me and to, like, be happy with what I'm doing. I'm making changes in my life now that are not only about making me better, but, like, I just want my parents to be proud. Stephen is trying to quit smoking weed and be more present in his life. The past couple of times I've called him, he didn't even answer because he was out working in his garden. And when I did get a hold of him, I asked him if I could have his dad's number. I wanted to know what his former New York State Supreme Court justice father thought about his tweeting comedian son. Hi, Jacob. Hey, Joe. Sorry. No, that's okay. How are you? Good, good. So now I'm free. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> How's your day? Did you... uh, busy, as usual, but I'm good now. <laughs> I talked to Joe Spinola earlier that morning to see if he'd be willing to do this. To my surprise, he was very agreeable. But his schedule as a mediator keeps him busy, so I just went right for it. Um, so I'm, I'm just, my question is, you know, are you proud of Stephen? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely proud of him. He, he's a, you know, he's an incredibly talented guy. Um, I think he thinks that he may have thought I wasn't proud of him because, as I said, he, he graduated from college with an advanced physics degree. So I wasn't expecting uh, a career choice as a, a, a professional comedian, but, I, you know, it happened. Um, but I, like any parents, I mean, the only thing you really want for your kids or any of your children is to be happy. And if they're happy, I'm happy. That's really all I, all I ever want for my children. You know, Stephen is, is engaged to a lovely girl. She's wonderful. And I think he's, he's, he's doing very well. He's happy. He loves what he does. And that's really the most important thing. Mm. So I am proud of him. And, I'm, and I, know he's, I know he's working very hard and trying hard, so... I am very proud of him. Hmm. Can I ask, like, what was your father like in your relationship with your own father? Well, my problem is my father died when I was a kid, a young child, so I didn't really, uh, you know, my father hmm. died when I was like 10 years old, uh, so it was tough because I didn't really know him as well as these guys know me. Hmm. So sorry. So, yeah. So, but my father was tough. He wasn't an easy guy. He, you know, he was he was a tough guy. Hmm. So... And he demanded a lot, I think. That's what, how I would describe him. Gotcha. So, you know, maybe that, maybe that, maybe that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I don't know. Uh, you told him that you were taking him to meet Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you remember yeah. this? Yes, I do. Can you tell yeah. that story from your perspective? I, I knew that they loved Sylvester Stallone. And what happened was I was a district court judge at the time, 
Okay. And I, I worked with a court officer who had actually been a stand-in for Sylvester Stallone. I know it's crazy. I, I told the guy, I said, my kids would love to meet you. It would be great for them. So one weekend, um, the guy invited us over for a party. Uh, I couldn't resist because the guy really, I'm telling you, he really looked like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> He's like a stand-in for him. So Stephen, I think, got a kick out of that. He really believed it, I think. You know, he yeah. did. He did. Yeah. Well, I don't think I told him for a long time. I think it was a long time after that that I finally confessed and said, "Not have fun." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that's what happened. All right. That yeah. was that was the last thing. I just want I for, okay. I'd forgotten about that and I thought that was funny. So. Yeah, it was. It was. All right, Jacob. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Cheers. Bye bye. Stephen gets married in one year. He now uses his Audi to drive people around for Lyft, trying to make enough money to have a good wedding and a nice life for him and his fiancée. She's the current breadwinner of the partnership. He's honed in his stand-up act a little bit, veering away from the shocking and telling more authentic jokes. He even opened up for Gilbert Gottfried for four nights recently. And all of that is enough to make his father proud. Wild wings! Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. If you like the show, tell your friends. You can tell them online, but, you know, tell them in real life, too. Also, let me know what you think by leaving a rating and review in whatever app you're listening in. You can do it right now. Just click on some stars, click on some things. It's great. The show is edited by Mac Linebaugh and Anita Bug. Music in this episode by Pottington Bear and this song by Dan Burns. Neighbors is a proud and founding member of the podcast collective The Herd. You can learn more at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. As always, I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. <laughs>